You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hey, welcome this morning. I'm glad you're here, whether you're in person or online. We're just, man, excited that you're joining with us. I, I've just been loving even our online community and having kind of these two locations for, for people to come. We have an awesome team that uh, we celebrated first service. I want to celebrate them second service because we love them that much. But they're doing a really killer job stewarding and pastoring online. So let's say you're here, but you have somebody maybe that wouldn't step in, inside the church or feel uncomfortable with that. We, we understand because many of us have been there ourselves. Uh, and so we love our online community and our online location, and it's pastored by by Megan, who's back here, and by Patrick as well. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're uh, really excited. You guys are training. Are you training right now? Is that what's happening? Let's go. Amen. Thank you for uh, apprenticeship. Um, but I-, I just really love that. I'm so thankful for that and that opportunity. Uh, I feel like it's been, a, it's been a good week for us as a church, even though it's been a crazy week because we have some things to celebrate like that, that God is doing things. And like our kids team that went out yesterday and handed out bags to bless families and to care for families. And did you guys know we have just like one of the coolest kids directors in Delaney. Can we celebrate her? And her husband, Austin, who is like amazing and just so much fun. We're so blessed. We have Really great team, people. Thank you, everybody. I have been so blessed as your pastor, uh, seeing the people that have taken it upon themselves to connect with others and to build those relationships. That's been so key. And, you know, kind of innately, there's this attitude of, like, when is someone going to do blank for me? And yet I love seeing people say, you know what, I'm going to take the initiative, call people, connect with people, get people together. And people say, well, how do I, how do I get in this? How do I get in this? It's really simple. Just call somebody on the phone and find out about their life. And so I've just been so encouraged by that, seeing people do that. I know some of you, you know, it's via social distancing. It's awesome. Um, But I'm excited every time I see people take that initiative to connect with one another, because that is the church. But uh, we're continuing our Pentecostal liturgy series, and we're really talking about uh, how do we pray, and we're building kind of these uh, awesome uh, prayers and guidance, and really it's to equip each other and equip the church, which is all of us, to not only pray deeper, connect deeper with the Lord, but to teach others to do the same. We never want to be a dead-end street for the movement of God. It doesn't stop here. We don't ever want to be a dead-end street for friendship. If you came to Banner and we and I connected with you, it's now your job to connect with someone else and continue down the line, right? That's how it works. Same thing is true with the movement of God is that we don't want to just be here for us. We want to be here for what God wants to do in the city and the community and the life he wants to bring, the hope and healing for every person. And so we've been just really talking through it. And so this week uh, we're talking about provision. Uh, why don't we all just together, because sometimes we get hung up on this word. I think we, let's just say this word together, kind of get it in our minds, get it in our hearts. We say the word provision with you. One, two, three, provision. Provision. It's an interesting word. Jensen and I met uh, this week to work on the liturgy, and I don't think we've struggled as much to write one and to write a prayer as much as this one, as we're building kind of the liturgy of our church is writing provision, and I think it was because the individual hang-ups that we had in asking God for provision. 
And it was like we had to work through our, like, individual, like, feeling weird about certain asking for things. Or I don't know if you've ever been there. You're like, you know, we had to work through some of those things. But it was really uh, a blessing. And so we, I feel like we really developed something that, that I love and I've been praying uh, through. And it's on the wall. It's this blue one here. It's in the back. And if you're online, you just go to banner.church. It's our website. Slash. Lord's Prayer, all one word, or slash liturgies. It'll get you there no matter what. Um, but today we're talking about provision. You know, my, my daughter, she is a fan of Barbies. Any Barbie fans out here? Good. Uh, yeah, see, you were like, wait, what? Do I should? Yeah, we would have known. Something weird about you. Um, <laughs> uh, my daughter is a huge fan of Barbies. And if you didn't know this, there are a million and a half kinds of Barbies. I mean, Every shape, size, color, um, every kind of vehicle you can imagine. There's different homes. There's not just a dream house. There's like a mid-century modern dream house. There's like a craftsman dream house. There's all kinds so that you can spend all your money getting things that your kids are going to play with like four times. Um, but there's all kinds of Barbies. Then there's like Chelsea, which is I think a slightly small. She's like the younger one. Then there's like Tiffany. Then there's like the older one, Karen. And then there's like, I don't know, Ken, Rick, Bob. I don't know how many there are now, but there's a million. And my daughter wants all of them, all of them. And she has gotten in the habit of telling me all of the Barbies that she wants. And uh, one of our good friends, Gianna, who's on staff here, was over the other day, and she's showing her videos online of all the different Barbies. And I was just so blessed by that. And she's showing her, like, here's this one, and here's the plane. There's multiple kinds of Barbie planes. Why does Barbie need more than one plane? She's one doll. Right? She's got her G4. And right, you know, like how many does she need, right? There's just more, more, more. So, so Lucy's telling me, she says, uh, she says, Papa, I want uh, uh, this in my stocking. No, she says, I want this in my stocking. I want this, in, I want this Barbie in my stocking. I'm like, your stocking? I know 2020 has been long, girl, and I'm ready to get over it as, just like you. But Christmas is so far. You have a birthday between now and Christmas. She goes, great. For my birthday, I want the Barbie dream house. Like, oh, my gosh. I said, you have so many Barbies. I mean, honestly, you probably don't even know how many Barbies you have. You have so many Barbies. How, why can't you just be happy with what you have? Can you just be content with what you have, right? Like, there's so many pink things in your room. It just feels like glitter exploded everywhere and just Barbies and Legos. Like, how, how much more do you need? And she says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, are you content? Yeah, yeah. Are you happy with what you have? Yeah. But I want more, right? That's like innate to children. Yes, I'm very happy with what I have, but I would like more, please, immediately. And I would like to say that that stops with being children, but I think if we know that is just all of mankind forever, this longing for more. I love that quote from Rockefeller. One of the richest men in history, when asked how much is enough, said, just a little more. Like, so much money, he's just throwing it physically at poor people because he has so much. He's inventing being philanthropic. He's just dumping millions, millions, millions. Gave away more money in a day than I'll make in a lifetime, and yet his response is just a little more. Just a little more. Just a little more. And, and I think what we see in culture is this insatiable hunger for more. This insatiable hunger for more things, more status, more power. 
And, and I want to make it really clear at the beginning of my message that I am not against vision, drive, goal setting, hard work, any of those things. So if you come up and you're like, well, what about having drive? What about working hard? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not against starting a business. I'm not against starting goals. God is not anti being successful, right? This is not anti drive. What I'm talking about is, and tell me if you've ever experienced this, the inability to rest because of a burning desire for more. The inability to be at rest because just a little more, just another raise, just another car, just a nicer house, just a new pool surface, just a new this, just, just a little more. If I could just get a little more, then I would rest. See, the opposite of greed is not some monastic stoicism where we hide away. The opposite of, uh, uh, of this more, 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 more is not uh, anti-pleasure or anti-beauty. God is pro-beautiful, pleasurable things. God made Hawaii. God made sex. God is pro-pleasure. So he, what I'm speaking of, that was like oddly silent after I said the word sex. Sorry. I was so uncomfortable. All right, apparently... But my top collar, put my Mennonite hat on, and, you know, all the women of this side, men of this side, <laughs> they realized we were so old school. But God made good things and pleasurable things, so I'm not against those things. What I'm saying is there's this, this insatiable hunger that leaves us at a state of unrest because we're never satisfied. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from a couple places. If you identify with, with that culture, with that attitude, it comes from a couple places. One, it comes from the garden. It comes from the very beginning. Man was unsatisfied for what God had provided. God said, listen, you can have this whole garden. Mind you, these are the first beings on earth. They've never seen a garden, let alone the best one you could make. Right? So you got to think, God made this garden the best one that you could make, the best garden you could be in. He's like, you can have all of this stuff, all of this but just don't touch this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, don't touch this one. And they were like, ah, but I kind of want to. <laughs> Is that just so classic kids? Like, you can have everything, but just don't, don't touch this, and your kids are immediately like, this one? This one? Don't touch this one? Just my kids. Cool. So... <laughs> But that is innate in nature. It's like at the very beginning, mankind said, no, I want just a little more. I want just more. I cannot be satisfied with what God had. I want a little more. So it kind of innate within us, birth within us, is this desire, this hunger for more than just what God has provided. It's also a product of advertising. You know, I, I don't know if you know much about advertising, but pre-World War II, almost everything was advertised based on competitiveness. It would be like, Henderson's shovel, the strongest shovel you can put in the ground, dig with Henderson's shovels. That was like advertising at its core. But advertising changed post-World War II. But its change was not birthed in New York. Its change was birthed in Berlin. This is important. In Berlin, the Nazis wanted to, and they were they became pretty good about this about stoke and stoke up the fire and flame and manipulate masses of people to do I mean really really terrible things so what they did is they took Freudian principles about man which is ironic because Freud was Jewish 
uh, which is like the great irony of the world. They took Freudian principles about man, and they used them to really control people. So Freud was a psychotherapist. He was Austrian. He was Jewish. And he had this understanding that humans are not as rational or autonomous as we think, which we, we now know this. That humans are not as rational or as autonomous as we think. In fact, we make irrational decisions based off of unconscious drives all the time. In fact, we, we do irrational things all the time, right? I mean, I, I do irrational things all the time. We respond based off our emotions. We uh, can be emotionally tricked or desire-driven more than we think that we are. And so in the war, Hitler fanned two flames of human emotion and desire, two things, I want and I fear, two things. And so he took, they took these ideas from Freud and they fanned into flame a whole mass of people to do a whole bunch of evil things, to commit all kinds of atrocities based off of the want desire and the fear desire of a group of people. So the war ended, Hitler died. But along came a man named Edward Bernays, and he was a former intelligence officer, and he was Freud's nephew, and he thought, I can take these same ideas that were used by the Nazi party to manipulate the masses, and if, and if a government, if a political organization can do it during wartime, how much more successful will the American business be at manipulating people? This is not a conspiracy theory. This is history. There's books on this. You can read this. And so they took these ideas from Freud, from the Nazis, and brought them to America. They brought them to advertising today. And so Edward Bernays became the father of American advertising. He birthed what is called the Mad Men. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. They did a show. It was kind of a big deal. He birthed the madman, and he birthed what is called public relations, or what we would call marketing. Think about that for a second, because that's important. He wrote this in his book called Propaganda. Kind of funny, every generation knows there was propaganda before them, and yet doesn't think they're currently a victim to it. Anyways, that's another talk. <laughs> I don't know, let that soak in. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Remember, this is the guy who started advertising as we know it. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. In almost every act of our daily lives, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who pull the wires which control the public. Okay, why are you sharing this? You want us all to be like afraid, conspiracy theorists? Like, no, no, I'm just trying to explain that there was a shift that has occurred dramatically in our culture. And in the 50s, it was, we were told, man, there's going to be uh, the rise of computers and opportunity. We're going to work. I mean, how many of you have read those statements from like back in the day when it's like, we're going to work 15-hour work weeks, and we're going to have so much luxury time that we can just give it away. Anyone giving away their luxury time? Is that even a thing? Luxury, what is luxury time? Right? Like we were going to have so much spare time according to advertisements and thoughts in the 40s, 50s, even upwards of the 60s, that we thought there was going to be so much free time. And yet, when we look at culture, what we see is that people are overworked, overmedicated, and underrested. 
When we look throughout culture, what we see is not a, a state of happiness through all of these things that have been advertised over the past 60 years. What we see is not a state of complete joy over everything that's been achieved. We're the richest nation in the world, and yet we're chronically unhappy. In The Progress Paradox, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse, uh, he makes a statement, adjusting for population growth, 10 times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. The same flames. The same flames that have been stoked from the beginning of time, the same flames that were stoked by the Nazis. I know we don't like to think that we're so easily caught up, and yet as humans, we are so easily caught up in stoking the fan and fanning the flames of fear and want. Fear, by fear, I mean anxiety. By want, I mean greed. By fanning these flames, by, by, by stirring them up, and what's happened is that we are always hungry, never content. And I think that begs the question then, how do we pray for provision in a culture that is oversaturated by stuff and by advertising and by things? We don't desire anything, yet we desire everything. We're not sure what we need, but we definitely know what we want. How do we pray for provision? How do we break free? How do we get out of this insatiable worry and hunger? Because the other thing that it, it doesn't just do the, the, the want, it does the fear. It stokes both. So we're an anxious people who are infinitely hungry. How do we break free? Let me tell you. We live off daily bread. When we seek God and his provision, we are freed from the insatiable hunger and worry of the world. If you live off daily bread, you will discover a life of peace, a life of rest through contentment in God's divine provision. I'm going to explain what that means here. Because we're going to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We've been going through the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I presented you that info, not so you'd go deep dive on the internet about Nazi propaganda and the continuation of, you know, advertising hold on our mind. I mean, you can knock yourself out. Be careful because, you know, the internet. Uh, <laughs> but I say that to say there is a problem. What is the solution? What is the answer for our soul that longs for rest? And I believe it's that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And there's a lot there. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a short sentence, but there's so much there. We could probably preach a, a couple things, a message on give us, a message on today our daily, and a message on bread. But we're going to smash it all into one because we only have half an hour. But give us today our daily bread. I want to read you a scripture. It comes from Matthew 6, 25. After Jesus teaches his prayer, he teaches on fasting, treasure in heaven, and then he teaches on this in Matthew 6, 25. So if you brought your Bible, open it up to Matthew 6, 25. If you're online, uh, open up, a, I guess, another web browser or click the Bible tab, Matthew 6, 25. And we're gonna, I'm going to kind of read it to you. And if you do not have your Bible, just listen and just receive because it, it is important and we'll reference it a lot. Matthew 6, 25. If you're with me this morning, say amen. Yeah. Amen. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gain in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Amen. And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies in the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much clothe you, O little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Amazing line. And the final line, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Amen. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is an expansion of this one line. It's like Jesus is hitting it again to make sure that his disciples get it. Give us this day our daily bread. Because if you'll notice, the prayer took a shift turn. Is that we were in declaration and assurance. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a declaration. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's assurance. But now it switches to give us. Give us. Feel that shift. Right, it was like you, 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 us, right? Give us, give us this day our daily bread. And it fits that mold what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, which is seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be given to you. There's a right format, there's a right form. Prayer starts with God sitting on the throne. What does that mean? Okay, on the throne means having authority, rule, and reign over your life. If you are the ultimate authority, rule, reign on your life, then your life is subject to the power of your authority, rule, and reign. Which is finite, non-omnipresent, non-omniscient. So you can reign on your heart, but you miss the benefit and the freedom of not only a life with Christ, but the fullness of God's authority and therefore coming under his authority and him reigning. But when we pray and we begin, God, you are on the throne. You are in authority. You reign. You reign above all these things. You are wonderful, awesome. You are in heaven, yet you are intimately with me. There is an assurance that as I now shift and say, give us, I'm asking a God who is infinitely powerful and intimately with me. And therefore, I walk into my prayer confident, not hoping to appease some pagan God on the, some altar with like a goat or something. I have relationship with you. And this is important because God cares for your needs. I think sometimes, again, we, we retain kind of like our old understanding of like, um, of how we come before God. It's as if we must appease him. Like we have to bring kind of like the old days, like an offering, like here is my grain unto thee, or like here is my favorite goat. And then you're like, where am I going to get a goat these days, you know? I don't know, you could probably find one. It's Arizona. <laughs> you know, where am I going to get this stuff? But that's not how God, God desires our heart. That is the offering that we bring before the Lord. And so God intimately hears our needs. It says, verse 26, God cares for the birds. Think about that. Birds are dummies. And God cares for them. <laughs> not a big bird fan. I'm going to be honest. I just, 
If I'm being honest this year, there's a million birds that are ripping up my garden. I love like birds that are like tropical birds. That's not true. I love birds because I love birds that are tropical birds and like birds as pets. That's cool. But there's these birds that keep, they're like ugly and brown and they're these weird shapes and they keep ripping up my garden. I don't love those birds. So, you know, not all birds. Anyways, I was preaching one time on a... On this passage, actually, I, I swear this truly happened. I was preaching at our campus, and it was all glass on one of these buildings. It was like this, but it was two stories, all glass. And as I'm preaching this verse, I, I promise into the window and dies on the ground. <laughs> I kid you not. I'm preaching. I'm like, God cares for the birds of the air. And, like, how do you get a crowd back after that? <laughs> how do you get them back? So I looked at the bird, and I said, God cares for your needs, but you have to live out the consequences of your actions. <laughs> Make dumb choices, win dumb prizes, right? Like, that's how it works. Anyways, that was free. <laughs> but God cares for your needs. Matthew 7, 7 says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone, see, you're wishing that a bird flies in right now. I can sense it in your spirit. Just read the verse with me. <laughs> Seven, seven, eight, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Some scriptures say the Holy Spirit, how much more will he give of himself to those that ask? Psalm 146 says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth the sea that all is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. And, and I know sometimes when we get into praying for provision, people will say, God isn't Santa. I'm like, good. <laughs> like, I don't want to send my prayers to the North Pole and hope he gets them. I don't trust the postal service that much. God isn't Santa. No, he's not Santa. He's our Abba Father who intimately cares for us. He intimately cares for us and hears us and hears our needs. He knows our desires. He knows the desires of our heart. He intimately cares for us. And sometimes we think, okay, what do we do about those that we see who are hungry or who are hurting? And so I'm going to say, I'm going to very clearly explain that at the end. So you have to stick around. Don't leave. Don't click away and all those things because I'm going to explain that. But, but this is important. God cares for our needs. So what are we asking for in this prayer? Give us what? Today, our daily bread. That's right. Give us today our daily bread. Okay. Daily bread is a combination of two ideas that I thought about explaining separately, yet they are intimately linked, and so they must live together because they gain their power from each other. It's not just that it's bread. It's not that it's just it's daily. It's daily bread. It's daily in the sense that it's the amount for the day. It means for that day. What about tomorrow? No, it's for today. What about next week? No. What about for 100 years from now? No, today, daily. Give us today, daily. And it's bread in the sense that it's provision for my needs, my basic needs, which I'll explain. Daily bread is what we need today. And importantly, it's daily bread, what we need, not daily boat, what we want. It's not like, give us today our daily gold, which would be awesome. Give us today our daily shopping spree, which my wife would love. Like, just let her loose in the fashion square like a looter. And she just go wild. Made well, everything. It's an unending credit card. Give us today our daily bread. It, it, it's a necessity. It, it's, a, it's a need. 
And this would have immediately reminded the people of the Old Testament about the manna from heaven. Now, just brief background here. The people of Israel were in a desert. And I don't know if you know much about deserts. You live in one, so here you go. There's not a ton of food in them. And if you take a million people into the desert, turns out they're going to get snacky. And so they were hungry, and they cried out, and they whined. Because if you have kids, you know that takes about four and a half seconds. They were in the desert, and they're crying out to God. And so God sends manna from heaven to provide for them, literally bread. And so they said, wow, this is pretty cool, bread from heaven. So they took it all, and they stored it up because that's what you do. If you're in a desert and food comes, you're like, we should save this. So they saved it. You know, I'm not... I get it. So they saved it, and then it rotted and, like, maggots ate it and things, and it was gross, and they couldn't eat it the next day because God was trying to teach them something, which is I'm trying to show you how important daily reliance on me actually is. God is saying, listen, there is something powerful that you learn in your character and your life and your walk when there is daily reliance on God. When we seek God and through daily reliance on daily bread, it releases us from our slavery to our daily hunger for more. Because we're daily trusting in God. Let me explain. Trusting God daily will free you from worry. Trusting God daily for worry. Not trusting God and saying, okay, I'm going to store it for the next three months. Trusting God daily will free you from worry. Verse 27, when we read in Matthew 6, said, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Verse 34 said, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. How much of your life is spent worrying about tomorrow, regretting yesterday, and totally detaching from today? The hard part is if we worry so much about tomorrow, all we're doing is turning today into tomorrow's regret. Because we're not engaged in what God wants to do today. We're not trusting in his provision for today. We're so worried about tomorrow. We're so worried about the future. We're so worried about what's going to come that we cannot fully rely on God. So we worry, we're detached, and all of a sudden today just becomes a bypass. It becomes a frustration. It becomes a waiting for tomorrow. We become so detached. And it comes from those same flames that get stoked in our culture all the time, fear and want. I, I watch Grit TV, um, which is like me and everybody else over 65. It's just old cowboy movies. And uh, there's three kinds of commercials on Grit TV. They're really pushing a certain demographic. You'll know when I say it. Insurance, car insurance, and Life insurance, really specific demographic, and me. Uh, I'm a 65-year-old man in my heart, apparently. That's okay. But every commercial is like, don't get scammed. What will happen if, is your family prepared? Right, every commercial. Just go watch Great TV, trust me. It's like Burt Reynolds, like, I'm here for America's seniors, and I'm here to let you know that there might be things in your life that come up, and you need to be prepared today, right? What are they stoking? This fear, this anxiety, right? Like, something's going to happen, and my family's not going to be ready, and what about the Rona? We're all going to get it. We're all going to die, and I don't know what to do. I'm a healthy young person, and yet I'm so locked in fear that I'm just going to hide away for six and a half years, that I'm going to be old, that I'm going to be more upset because I'm single forever. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I can't live till tomorrow. I'm so worried. If only I could just buy the new Mercedes-Benz, then I would be so happy because I want that. And you know what? I deserve that. You deserve it, girl. Go to Iceland. Have a vacation, right? It's 
just this unending cycle of just bankruptcy and sorrow just over and over and over again. Trusting in God daily is not a rejection of the future. It's just a submittal of today. Have dreams. Have visions. Get fired up. Write things down. Have a dream journal. Share things with your friends. Believe for your business. Set goals. Understand the market you work in. Be intelligent. Make money. Be successful. All of these things. Yet, none of that will bring you peace if today is not submitted to the Lord. I submit my worries, I submit my fear, I submit my lack of control to God. Give me today, Lord, what I need for today. And you know what? I trust you in tomorrow. You see my desires, God. You see my heart. You see my heart for my family. You see my heart for my future. You see that, God, but I, I give you today. Because if I don't give you today, then I'm just going to be miserable when tomorrow is today. Trusting God daily will free you from worry. Trusting in God's provision will free you from the slavery to more. It is slavery. It is a complete and total locked in chains to more, more, more. I want more. I want more. I want more. So when we pray for daily bread, we ask for something humble and simple. Because bread is like not flashy. Right? Bread is like, you've never seen a loaf of bread. Maybe Nick has because he's a baker. And been like, wow, yo, look at that piece of bread. And like, like, look at this bread, Nick. No, he's like, why did you call me out? Have you ever looked at like, bread and been like, wow, there's some crazy bread. And, like bread, like, like everybody gets bread for the most part. Like Romans would like throw it into the stands, like right to people. It's like it is this fundamental, the idea that was being presented to a people that ate bread as like a primary source of nutrients was that this is a necessity. So even though we have like noble bread that makes some great bread, uh, uh, this was necessity. When we pray for daily bread, what we're asking for is to provide for our needs today, not our wants today, our needs today. God, would you provide for my needs? Again, I'm not saying this to say, like, we are, uh, Jesus is, like, anti-success or, like, anti-beautiful things. He made beautiful things. Like, Jesus is not anti-fun, um, not anti-pleasure, not anti-good food. God made all good things, and, and we know that. But we're told in Scripture, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, meaning the flowers. God values nice things, but we are not submitted to those nice things. They, they are things that God has created, and, and, and we, we love and we receive and all of those things. And yet we cannot be so locked into more, 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 more that we are just enslaved and, and chained to this constant cycle of more, 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 want, 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 more, more, more. Like I got to have this car. And then when I have this car, I need another car. And I got to have this raise. And once I have this raise, then I need another raise. How many days after you get the raise do you want another one? Like almost immediately? Like, wow, this is nice. I want one of these. Right? Like almost immediately we want more. We want more of this, more of this, more of this, more of this. And it's just exhausting. It's burdensome. And so asking for daily bread, it just immediately within us rejects this idea of more, 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 more. And says, God, I ask for you to provide, but I also ask for something very important. I ask that I would be content in your provision. I ask that not only would you provide, but that I would be content with what you provide. 
Everyone's rushing around. Everyone's killing themselves to work more. Everyone's going, going, going. You ask anybody, and they're like, yeah, I'm busy. Hey, what have you been up to? Being busy. Hey, do you want to hang out? Nah, I'm busy. Hey, you want to do this? I'm busy. And I, and I legitimately think people are busy. I don't say that to say people aren't busy. I think we are all busy. I think people commute more, work more, uh, do more for their families, are spending so much time. And so at the end of the day, there's this constant more, 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 more money, more things. And yet people don't feel the sense of contentment because we're focusing so much on the gift that we're neglecting the giver. We're like kids at Christmas. They have received something and say, great, and we go out to play with it, and then we rip open another toy, and then we rip open another toy, and rip open another toy, and we never look at mom and dad and say, like, wow, I'm so blessed to have somebody purchasing gifts and caring. See, that's the cycle we get in. We, we need to find contentment, and the only way we find in contentment is by focusing on the giver that is God, not the getting of what we want. Proverbs 37 through 9. I love this. You can write it down, look it up later. It says, two things I ask of you. He's talking to God. Deny them not, before, uh, not to me before I die. And verse 8 says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Remember what I said? The opposite of greed is not ignoring pleasurable, beautiful, amazing things. The opposite of greed is balance. Matthew 6, that same verse we read in the message says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Praying daily bread, give us today our daily bread, is praying, God, provide for my needs and help me be content. When was the last time you were content? 1 Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything that is out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who would desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let me ask, when was the, when was the last time you were content? You looked at your life and you said, thank you, God, for you. Thank you, God. Maybe, maybe just you feel like I have nothing in life. I, I don't have any money. I'm broke. I don't have a home. I, I'm, not, I'm not living anywhere right now. But is there any way that you can look at God and just say, God, thank you for what you have provided. Thank you for how you do provide. Thank you that I can come in to a church. Thank you that I, I live here and I, I can come into this place no matter who you are. Right? Thank you, God, for, for who you are and what you do. Thank you, God. When was the last time you were content with the clothes you did have? When was the last time you were content with that meal that you keep having to make over and over because it's the budget meal? Y'all know what I'm talking about, chicken and rice. Where you at? Yeah, you're all with me. <laughs> it's good. It's good. When was the last time you were just content? A life of contentment is simple reliance on God. And I know that sounds crazy. Uh, and again, I'm not rejecting working hard and being successful. Praise the Lord for that. I'm just saying to be content, it requires simple reliance on God. Praying, give us this day our daily bread. God, provide for my needs and make me content in you. Because you provide, I do not worry about my future. And I do not give myself to greed and lust and passions of the flesh. 
So how do we do that? How do we, practically speaking, kind of reject this, this lock that it seems that more, 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 more has over us? How do we do that? First thing is we submit our life to the Lord. And that's the big one. I use the word submit there because it's about authority. Who has authority over your life? And usually people will agree that, they love, that Jesus is a neat guy. They'll agree that maybe he said some good things. But where they disagree and where they get hung up is releasing their own authority and submitting to God's. And can I tell you, that is the crucial piece to salvation is that when we submit our heart and lives to God, we're saying, listen, you are the only one who can take away my sin and my shame. You're the only one who could pay the sacrifice for my sin on the cross die and resurrect and come back to life and restore the relationship in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are the Prince of Peace who came to take away my sin and shame. We have to say, God, I, I submit my life to you. And that's really the first half of that prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done in my life, God. I've, I've steered the ship. I, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. Galatians 5.24 says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we submit to Christ, we receive new life from him. And in so doing, we reject the lie of the world, which tells us that something else will make us content or happy or fulfilled or whole. Things can make you happy, but they will never give you an eternal satisfaction and rest for your soul. You can buy a puppy and be happy, but you will not be whole. There is such freedom when you say, God, I submit my life to you. Lead me. Second thing is pray, very simply, God, give us today our daily bread, right? Pray, give us today our daily bread. A series on prayer. It'd be crazy if one of the points was not pray, <laughs> right? Pray, give us today our daily bread. Actively pray for God's provision. God, I submit my day to you. Provide my needs. Help me to be content, not obsessed with more, 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 but resting in your divine provision and your divine providence in who you are. Philippians 4, 7 says, or 4, 4 through 7 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Praise the Lord. We need more of that. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Pray for God to provide for needs. But what I love about this is, have you noticed that it's kind of plural? Pray for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. That's interesting. My prayer is, God, may the provision that you give to me not stop with me, but may I be a river to and a vessel and an instrument of provision to others. You thought about that. Don't become a dead-end street of the gospel or the provision of God. It is your responsibility to those who have received to pour out individually. You are the church. You are pour out. What if God has blessed you so that you might pour out into others? This is really important. I'm going to ask a question that many of you will ask in response to this. Yeah, but I see so many people around me who are hungry and hurting. If God provides, why do I see so many people around me who are hungry and hurting? So I'm going to answer your question by just saying your question three times. Ready? Why do I see so many people around me hurting and hungry? Okay, you almost got it. Why do I see so many people around me who are hurting and hungry? This third time, you're going to nail it. 
Why do I see so many people hurting and hungry around me? Maybe it's because God made you to feed and help and clothe and care for the hurting and hungry. Maybe, just maybe, I'm just saying, you know, I think I read this somewhere, that God defeated death, hell, and the grave, rose again, indwelt the Holy Spirit into you, not just so that you could speak on tongues on Sunday or look really spiritual uh, to your mother-in-law. Maybe God gave you the Holy Spirit so that you might be filled, so that you might pour out into others, so that you might radically change the people's lives around you. And instead of saying, well, how come my church this? How come this? How come this? It's like, yeah, because you are the church. You were gifted. You were anointed. And so the question of why do I see people around me needs to turn into a we are now doing this. Because I see what God has gifted me to see and I will do what God has gifted me to do by the Holy Spirit that has been poured into me. You and the church are the answer to a suffering world because of Jesus Christ. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. You have and gifted to provide more of him to the world. And so our prayer is very simply, God, provide for my needs. But God, don't make me a dead-end street of provision. Help me to be an instrument of your provision to others daily, daily in my life. It doesn't say, God, give us an event that we might be provision. It says, give us our daily bread. God, daily provide so that I might provide and pour into others. Third and final point, band, you can come up. Third way. Are you still with me? Say amen. Amen. Good. Okay, good. One of our ACs went down, so there's a little stuff here in here, so I'm kind of feeling it second service. I don't know if y'all are feeling it. <laughs> We're going to fix it tomorrow. Third and final point, actively seek and practice contentment in God's provision. It's amazing how your miracle can eventually become a source of your moaning. How many of you prayed for kids, but some weeks you're just like, oh, my goodness. Lord, help me. <laughs> so thankful for the Holy Spirit today. It's so often that. What should be a miracle in our life becomes our moaning. The food that's provided for us that we should celebrate becomes like, oh, man, the same thing again. The job that we have that's a blessing is like, oh, man, I got this job. Like we, people moan. That's what happens. And yet if we actively seek and practice contentment, all of a sudden we begin to look differently at our life because we begin, we begin to counter this never satisfied kind of life. We begin to counter this never satisfied kind of understanding. Here's a couple things that scripture tells us to do. One is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an amazing way to counter whining and complaining. You're whining about something, why don't you just praise God for it? Whining about your job, and it's probably a legitimate reason. It's probably very frustrating and annoying. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I can't take this anymore. I'm not talking about like abusive situations or relationship. Leave those please. It's not a justification for staying somewhere you should leave. If you're being treated poorly, bounce. But I'm saying in your life, there's just things where it's like, you know what, how am I going to look at this? Am I going to be thankful and content for my family and our home and their opportunity? Am I going to say, God, I praise you. I praise you for who you are. I praise you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to be with me. Thank you, God. Thank you. Take time to thank God. Second one is Sabbath. Sabbath is crucial to countering hurry in your life, to
to countering more and more and more and more and more. God built this into us at creation. He said, I know they're going to hunger for more. These guys kind of look like trouble. I know they, they're going to hunger for more and more and more and more and more. So I'm going to build within the structure of creation, the structure of their life, a Sabbath, a time to rest, a time to be at rest, a time to intentionally rest, which means rest with the Lord. Sabbath counters us more and more and more because it gives us a chance to just step back and rest and slow down. Pick the slow option. Go slow. Rest. Walk somewhere. Turn off the TV. Be still and rest with God. Third thing is generosity. Generosity is how we counter greed and selfishness. That's where we go from I have to have to I get to give. Now, I'm not saying tithing. That's a biblical principle that you should apply in your life. I'm just talking about generosity, broad strokes. If you are the kind of person that struggles with always wanting more money and thinking that's where your satisfaction is, then you need to shift your mentality to giving, to generosity, to pouring out. And you need to remove the hold that that is mastering over your life. Because money is a really terrible master. It's a great tool and a terrible master. Generosity is an amazing way. Give to someone. Give to an organization. Give to whatever. But be generous to counter selfishness. How about fasting? We love fasting here as a church. We do it for spiritual reasons. There's obviously physical reasons as well. People do it. We do it spiritually. Every year at the beginning of the year, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. But we also encourage fasting any day. We have a guide for you if you'd like. That's on our resources page. But we encourage fasting. Why? Because we want to lose some weight. No. I mean, I do, but no. We encourage that because there is something special that happens when you tell yourself no. When was the last time you told your flesh no or even just wait? It's like, well, I feel it and I want it, so I do it because, you know, treat yourself. Like, well, what if there was something inside of you that in seeking and practicing contentment means I need to lay that down or still my heart to deny this fleshly hunger for the sake of a spiritual hunger for more of God, who in turn is a greater blessing on my life. Fasting does that even in small ways. It, it releases that hold that our flesh has over us. Fasting. And my last one is setting aside the things that control us. Probably the biggest one is social media. If you find yourself habitually clicking a box on a phone, then there is not a big jump between me clicking my box on my phone to try to get that app just habitually every time I stop and the dog with the whistle clicker over here. Like we are like the same. And it's concerning to me to be so preconditioned, to, to be so discontent with a moment of stillness that I must instead fill it with noise. And so there's something about saying, you know what, I'm going to set it aside. For, for me, that's social media. I took a break all week because I was just like, you know what, my, my brain is not catching up here. And I'm just habitually going, 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 going. I got to step back. I got to step back. Because we begin to just drool and envy over everything, everything and options and scroll and scroll and scroll. And we just become so at rest and so, or so not at rest and so hurried and so longing. And yet God just desires, what if you were content? What if you were restful? What if you found that peace? What if you gave me a chance to bless you and you didn't just worry about it every day? What if you gave me a chance to provide more of myself to you instead of just worry, 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 worry? And that's really where God is today. As we practice contentment, we say, God, I know that you know my needs and you know my wants. 
because you're God and you're omniscient, you're omnipresent, you know both. And yet I'm saying, God, I cannot be content unless I'm content in you. So help me, God, to be content in you. Isn't that amazing that we can be like kind of so selfish in prayer that we ask God to help us love him better? <laughs> Imagine that in a relationship. I tell my wife, hey, can you help me care for you more? But we can with God. Holy Spirit, help me focus my heart in contentment with you that I might be at rest in my life, that I might walk in rest for my family and my future and the people around me. God, you know my need. I ask you to provide for my needs today and that as I pursue your provision, I would be content and released from the worry and the hunger of the world. What would your life look like if you were content with God providing for your needs? What would your anxiety look like, your worry look like, your concern look like, your future look like, your happiness look like if you were content? I want to encourage you, if you pray, give us this day our daily bread. That is an amazing start on the journey to being content in the Lord and rejecting the insatiable hunger and worry of the world for more, 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 more. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to read this over you, and then our band's going to play this song just in seeking the Lord. And uh, this is a prayer that, that we wrote. And like I said, it was you know, a prayer of provision. And I want to read it over you. And then we're going to worship and respond together for just a brief moment here. But it's really a prayer of provision. We're going to have it. It's on this poster. We have it in the back. We have it online. But I want to pray it over you this morning. Glad you could join us. And I'm going to just really encourage you as we worship to press into that space of saying, God, I trust you with my needs today. Don't rush out of that moment. We have such few still moments in our life to say, God, I trust you. I want to pray over you this morning. We rejoice in the Lord our God, our great provider and protector. We bring our requests before you in the confidence that you know them fully. And as Abba, Father, you delight in communion with your children. In the midst of eternity, you are ever present in our time of need. Lord, we recognize how all creation relies on you. Like the birds of the air who do not hoard up with fear. Like the flowers of the field who do not toil but trust in you. We long to be free of the anxiety that is so potent in this world. We ask you to fulfill the needs of today. May we find contentment in your daily provision and release the worries of tomorrow. Help us to reject greed and envy, using every blessing as an opportunity to be your hands and feet. May we as your church be the instrument of your provision, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for your children. Thank you for the rest and the peace we receive from your divine providence. God, I thank you this morning. I pray as we worship that our hearts would reflect two things. One, God, we submit our life to you. We lay it at your feet. And two, God, we pray that you would make us content and reject the worry and the hunger for more and more and more that the world is burning. And that instead we might live a life of contentment and rejoice in who you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.